Amen. Please be seated. And please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We have been studying Ephesians for some time now, and we are in that second half of the book where building upon the foundation of who we are in Christ, uh, we can now see new lives lived out as individual believers in Christ, those who rest in Jesus and his finished work. As Christians, we now have new hearts, new affections that God is working in us through his spirit. So the first three chapters really build that foundation, just just in a repetitive, glorious way, root us in the full grace of God and Christ to us. We're recipients of this grace. We know it. We live in gratitude to what God has done for us, forgiving our sins in Christ, giving us faith to lay hold of him, to believe in him, to rest on him. And from that place, we can follow these commands that God gives us, not for salvation, but as the new creatures we are, living out this new life that we have in us. This is true for us individually, but it's also true in that God is making a holy temple of his church, individual spiritual stones, each of you placed into his holy temple as a a praise offering to him. Now, all of that's glorious, and you know it and I know it. But when we get down to the things that really address how we think and live, we know it's true when we read it, but we also find it very difficult. We find the challenge real, the struggle serious. And when we start to talk now about really the most central relationship we have in in human life, the relationship between husband and wife and and family by connection, uh, this is where it gets the most difficult because we all know of failure in our own lives, maybe uh, your parents in their marriage, or grandparents in their marriage, your marriage, uh, your experience with marriage, whatever it may be. There can be lots of struggle that comes whenever this discussion happens. But it's absolutely necessary for us to go to the Word of God, ask God by His Spirit to help us uh, see, realize in our life these things that He paints for us in His Word, recognizing all the while that we'll have to consistently stop and ask God for forgiveness along the way as husbands who fail and wives who fail, as children who fail. uh, That's the reality of our human condition. But we do not forget the rootedness of this book in Christ. And we always go back to that gospel. We always go back to the person of Christ in the midst of these relationships. That gives us a boldness to come to the passage and not be worried or have shame about it, but rather recognize our need for this exact direction that we have. Because The world is not going to give you the straight on this. Uh, The message of the world is confused, it's warped, it is dysfunctional, it's not helpful. No matter how archaic they say the scripture is, they mean the world system or whatever the most popular teaching is. No matter what it tries to do to the word of God, the word of God will stand forever. It's everything else that will pass and fade. So with that expectation, we go to the word of God looking forward to how our minds will be renewed based on God's plan, God's design. So follow as I read. I'm going to go back to verse 15 of Ephesians 5. The focus of our, this morning, will be verses 22 through 24. But this section of scripture I'm reading will have before us for the next three weeks, Lord willing. So Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15, I'll read down to verse 33. So we have the full context on on marriage and family, essentially, or at least marriage at first. Chapter 6 gets into family more or at least I should say children more. Hear God's word, starting at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Please bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Lord, you tell us to walk wisely because the days are evil. You tell us to understand what your will is. In this light, we humbly ask for understanding. We ask for clarity. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us understand what is true and what to do as we read your word. Help us to know what it means and how to apply it. And as it relates to marriage and family, please help us to hear what your word says over the noise of a lost world and a confused culture. I pray that our understanding and application would honor our Savior Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. We have a profound passage before us in in multiple levels. Of course, in the base level concerning marriage, but also as it relates to Christ and the church. So what I'd like to do over these next three weeks is take, uh, take it in sections. First, as it relates to marriage, which leads to the wider topic of family, As it relates to marriage, first address a few verses on wives. Then, next week, the verses on husbands. Then step back a bit, the third week, and just consider Christ and the church and what this means. Uh, The picture of marriage, which has essential teaching here, but it also is a picture of something even more profound. So we'll attempt to take on this full topic that way as we work through these verses in Ephesians with marriage as a metaphor for Christ and the church, we have clear and helpful direction for wives and husbands. You could put it another way. As one author said, Christian marriages flourish when husbands and wives are filled by the Spirit and reflect the picture of Christ's relationship with the church. So we'll take the passage as I have already outlined. Now, wives, for this week, be patient. I promise we're getting to the husbands next week. This is something all of us will struggle with. 
we can be honest about this discussion in the church because God's word is sufficient. It tells us what we need to know. And sometimes when we feel uncomfortable talking about something, it's because maybe the message we're getting from the outside, or it could just be we know how tough it is in reality in our lives, being honest about our failures as husbands and wives with full belief that the gospel covers these things and we can rest in this. Now, I want to give you an illustration to begin with, and I'm not sure if it's the greatest illustration. I've been trying to think of how to describe the practical way husbands and wives might relate. We see the scripture depict the husband as the head and the wife as a supporter of the head or someone who is supposed to be um, the helper. Um, And there's this word submission that's used. And you have submission means there has to be some delegated authority, at least, that the husband has. And so I've tried to think of how to practically lay this out, how it works in actuality, rather than like a dictator saying, uh, giving orders or something like this. We know that doesn't work. That's not the spirit of it either. But there's clearly a delegated authority that God has in this marriage relationship that he has designed. What's one way to describe it? I'm going to try to do it this way. Uh, I've been a coach for many years and um, a soccer coach, which usually means you have 18 to 22 people on a roster. So it's a big roster compared to many other sports, uh, but not as big as some others, I realize. But it is a very effective method in on a soccer structure. You have a coach, you have the team, and then generally uh, you will pick a captain or co-captains. Now this is the way that the coach can mediate his message to the rest of the team is by taking members of the team and giving them some authority within the team structure so that they can carry out the coach's vision. Uh, This is the best way I can think of to describe it. So uh, you have, it may not be the best player in the team, it's just someone who gets the vision and the mission and has influence with the rest of the team. And the coach will use that person to delegate his authority and try to Help everyone be on the same page because you have to, on the, on the field at one time, there's 11 different players and the coach isn't on the field, so the captain's on the field. The captain's there and able to give direction as the coach would want. Um, also, the, another beautiful part of this structure is being a player, they understand, and so the other players can go to the captain if there's something they don't quite understand coming from the coach. Uh, it, it can work both ways. And so a good captain is someone who's always thinking of what's best for the whole team so the team functions in accord with the mission and the vision of the coach. The way the coach envisions it all to happen, the captain gets it, recognizes the whole team has to be on the same page, and the captain serves the team to get everyone else to do what the coach wants. And the relationship, when it's healthy, works well in all directions. There's communication that comes from the teammates to the captain, to the coach, and vice versa. And it becomes healthy, and people are unified in what they're supposed to be about, and usually successful. Some level of success the team works well when this structure and this flow is operational. How does this compare? And again, I realize metaphors fall short to some degree, but I hope it gives a sense of it. God is ultimately the coach. God is the one who gives the mission, the purpose, the life, all that we should be concerned with. God is the one who is the superior, the only superior in this structure, truly superior. Now, God will delegate some authority to a husband who's on the team. The team is the marriage team, if you will. The wife is a team member. The husband's designated as a captain to do his best to serve the coach's mission and vision. The team knows this is what's true and so can trust the captain in the instructions or 
sometimes decisions that have to be made, especially when there's disagreement or there's a lack of clarity, someone has to make that decision and lead out. And it's the captain's role to know what the coach wants in this and do his best to lead the team in that direction. And the team does well to support the captain and their leadership. It's not a statement of them being superior. It's a statement of recognizing that the coach has given some authority and they respect the coach by giving authority to the captain or deferring to the captain or submitting to the captain. I think that if you've been in a structure like this, you recognize how healthy it can work when everyone respects everyone else, loves everyone else, and recognizes the importance of this order. Now, I pause to mention that this is true in every level of life. The reason this area is so sensitive, it's so personal, and we live so much of our life in this relationship, this marriage relationship, or as it turns out a little bit later, in relationship with parents and children. Uh, But there are multiple levels in which God the Father has delegated certain authorities that all of us recognize. Uh, You could think of a major one as government. That's the one people get fired fired up the most about, but the scripture is pretty clear in Romans 13 and in other passages about the need for us as the people of God to recognize that God ordains governments and delegates certain power, power of the sword to them. Tons of debate about how that works out, I recognize. But there's not debate that God delegates that authority to human governments. And he wrote that when the Roman Empire was in power. We recognize that. Uh, We recognize other kinds of authority that happen. Um, An employee has an employer, and there's a certain delegated authority. In fact, the passage that speaks of bond servants and masters will really address some of this as well. Parents have delegated authority over children. It's not just by virtue of them being parents. It's because God's ordained this authority. There are different forms of authority God delegates, and it's our way of honoring God when we honor that line of authority that he gives. But there's much responsibility for the players, the people involved, the captain and the team, as it were. And that's what this passage speaks of, recognizing God delegating this authority the way he does and how we should follow in that authority to his honor and to his glory. And then, as the people who are involved, how do we act towards one another in this relationship? What I'd like to do is go to the passage, in particular, verses 22 through 24 for this week, and ask a few questions. Usually, they're they're the questions most uh, focused upon when reading this passage and how they apply today. What do they mean? Let's start by asking the question, what is the special role of the wife? This question comes from verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 22, clearly there's a special relationship between the husband and the wife, a designated one that Paul is assuming here in Ephesians 5. Where does this come from? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we we know already that there's a model that's on display. And we know the head of the church being Christ, the sacrificial Messiah, the one who lays himself down for the church. Uh, We recognize the, the special role of the husband as it relates to this metaphor. But what about the wives? Where does this come from, this idea of submit to your own husbands? Well, to find this, we have to dip back a bit into the Old Testament at the beginning, the basic roots for humanity. When God reveals in Genesis 2, starting at verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now, it says it's not good. If you remember the story of creation, there's multiple times where the refrain happens, and it was good. It was very good as he created. But he gets to the place where man has been created, and the characterization that God gives, it's not good that the man should be alone. So there's something incomplete about creation here. And so God makes for him a helper, a complement that fits him, someone who will make him whole, someone who will bring fulfillment, bring him joy, bring him companionship. He won't be alone any longer. She won't be alone. They together will be one flesh as the passage unfolds. God is determined to make a helper fit for him. She's made to compliment him. This is where Paul is coming from when he speaks as he does. Continuing in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So he's just naming the creation. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, suitable for him, to complement him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is a beautiful picture that needs no help from me. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The special role of the wife is that of the complement to her husband, the helper of her husband. She makes him whole. She helps him be who he's supposed to be in the Lord. And in, in return, as he executes his role, he helps her be who she's made in the Lord. And there's great joy in that kind of a relationship. It's not till sin enters that this gets messed up. Both are created in the, in the image of God. Both are equal in their essence. One is not superior in their essence. The two are one flesh before God. One is given the responsibility of leadership. The other is the responsibility of helping and complimenting the other. When Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife who can find it. She is far more precious than jewels. An excellent wife is an excellent helpmate, an excellent helper, an excellent complement to her husband. What does submit mean then in this light? That's the special role of the wife. What does submit mean? Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, to be clear, this is not a passage that can be used to justify the general submission of women to men. That's not what this is teaching. This is speaking of the marriage relationship. To your own husbands, it says. What does submit mean? Well, the meaning for submit flows from the context. This is the best way to do our interpretation. When we look at what Paul's writing, if he uses the same word immediately, we should go there and then see how it transfers. Now, sometimes the transference will be a little different because it's building a point, but the word itself we can find immediate meaning from, and we have it for us, one of those ready-made interpretive uh, helpers. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
In that passage, he's speaking to the whole of the church, how we get along together, the harmonious relationship we have towards one another. Then it says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in unity and harmony because we do so for the glory of Christ, to manifest Jesus. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, deferring to each other, to considering others as more important than ourselves. The general demeanor of Christians towards each other is to count others as more important. How can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And remember, Christ, our model, is the ultimate servant, the one who washed his disciples' feet, the one who prays that the unity of the church would be so evident that people would know that Christ was really sent by God. That's the general demeanor, the way we act. And then he goes to the marriage relationship and uses the word again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. When you submit to your, to your husbands, you're doing something that is showing submission to the Lord. When we submit to one another, we're doing something that manifests that Christ really was sent by God. When wives submit to their husbands, defer to their husbands' leadership, when this happens... They're doing so as the Lord has delegated. They honor God by this. That's what's being communicated by submit here. Wives, submit to your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I know that that kind of phraseology is totally out of fashion today. And you know that's largely for good reason. There's at least some good reason where there's abuses of this. There's exploitation of this where you see people treated poorly, especially women. And so there's a pushback in this because of the poor treatment that has been displayed or people have received. We understand this. But now we're going to this passage and we're seeing it in its full context. Is the people of God reading it, understanding the gospel truth and understanding uh, the joint submission we share with one another, how Christ is exalted. It's in that context that we're speaking in the marriage relationship. It's not a cold, detached thing. It's part of our spiritual life, which is the whole of our life, that we practice our relationship with each other as husband and wife. And so submission falls more under the category of letting someone lead out as they're supposed to lead and help them lead. It's being, that's being submissive. What can I do to support you in the role you are responsible to God for? I recognize what you're responsible to God for, so I want to help you with this. That's the picture of submission pictured by the scriptures. This is something that is challenging for every believer because we think in military terms or corporate terms of rank and so forth. It will not work well if we think like that. It's not a rank issue. It's a role issue. We've been married, Sherry and I have been married almost 28 years, and I could tell you that over the years, one of the, the features of marriage I think we've learned the most about is how God has uniquely equipped us to have certain angles and expertises or perspective on things that are different than the other. It is my role to bring direction to where we're going ultimately as God calls us. But we're wise to recognize one another's strong suits in areas and and defer to each other in those respects. But at the end of the day, there is an acknowledgement that I'm the one who has been given this mantle, that I have to stand before the Lord for how I lay my life down for her and for our family. And so she recognizes that and helps me, especially when I'm about ready to do something boneheaded, which is often, actually, it happens more than I would like to admit. And she is gently able to say, and this is still submissive, you know, we should think of something, think of it this way. And there's a conversation that occurs. And over the years, the proving of it over and over to me has made me think there's no decision I would make without referring to her opinion on it anyways. 
There might be a time, though, and there are times that happen, and they're slight, but they happen, where it really is a matter of we just don't agree with the next step to take, and there's where I have to, prayerfully, considering all that I can consider, go forward with it, and she follows with that and supports that. That's kind of the practical way it works itself out. It's not go to the board president and ask them for a promotion or for permission or to get this or to get that's not the way it actually really works it's certainly not the way the church and christ work when you think of what jesus has done for the church and the church can't wait to serve the christ who's paid for their sins secured their eternal future submission is something that is far more dynamic than we sometimes imagine especially when so much discussion about it is off center. It's not biblical, it's not spiritual, it's not the fullness of what the scripture's teaching. You know, we live in a time of this radical type individual thinking where every individual thinks their personal freedom is the most important. And if you put anyone in my universe that will mess with my personal freedom, I rebel against it. And of course, you see why marriage gets hammered from people who think like this. That seems like the ultimate uh, subjugation, that you would give some of your freedoms up to someone else's leadership. John Stott wrote many years ago, almost nothing is calculated to arouse more angry protest than talk of subjugation or subjection. Ours is an age of liberation, and anything savoring of oppression is deeply resented and strongly resisted. And he makes the point in his writing, too, that a lot of this pushback is because of the abuses the exploitation, suppression, all those terrible things. But we are not that. As the followers of Christ, we are not to be in that kind of a category. We are in the category, especially as those who are leading, which we'll spend time on next week, looking for ways to lay our life down for others, especially for our wives in the case of husbands. But the passage here is speaking directly to wives and how they can promote their husband's leadership the way that God's called them to lead is by this submission. In this concept of submission, I will say one more thing. There's a flow that happens in Ephesians that's undeniable, that involves this concept of deferring or recognizing an authority that God has placed and following it, submitting to it. In verse 21 of chapter 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then in verse 22, the passage we're more focusing on, wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. So it's the delegation of the Lord that they're ultimately honoring. Then it says to children in chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You're actually obeying God by obeying your parents. And then in verse 5 of Ephesians 6, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. It's the common way God works out life and living is through this delegated authority. And when we recognize it and submit to it, there's great blessing and joy in that. Back to our text. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. What does it mean that the husband is the head? Now, some of this has been coming to light just by what we've been covering. But it says in verse 23 that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Saying that the husband is the head means that he's been placed in this position of leadership by God 
and it should be recognized as coming from God. Now, authority is not unlimited. It's not what the passage is saying. It's not saying that wives or children or employees and these different structures of accountability or authority, that they're required to give unconditional obedience. It's not what it's saying. The submission required is to God's authority delegated to human beings, and it's based on what God's revealed will says. If that authority is misused, then we have to object. Stott said, we must submit right up to the point where obedience to human authority would involve disobedience to God. That's often what we talk about when we're trying to navigate dicey times with the government giving various uh, mandates and such. Uh, We have to recognize the government's God-given authority. And if it's causing us to sin, that's the problem. That's up to that line. Now, I realize there's all sorts of annoying areas before, but that's different than outright sin. And so with the determination of leadership, so the government does this, then what does the church have to do that? The church leaders have to discern that. That's the ultimate question. Is the government impeding the church in doing what God's called us to do or causing us to sin? And you have to trust that leadership has the wisdom of God and the word of God and the accountability of one another to determine that for the body of Christ. And we submit to that. This is how submission to authority works. So tough for us as people. So tough for us. I'm awesome at submission until I actually have to submit. You know, that's when it actually is submission. It's not like, yeah, I agree with that. I say my vows. And then the second I don't like something, no, wait a minute. Now, it might be legit. It might be some reason to object. But it might be simply that it's different from what I would want to have happen. And we think in the marriage relationship, the head is given a certain authority. And that's what it means. It really is meant to express exactly what it sounds like. That's what it's referring to. Paul uses the same phraseology other, way, other places. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. And it's not just culturally bound. Sometimes people will take this because it's such a press, pressed upon thing in culture. It seems so archaic or caveman-like. And so people say, well, you know, this, this part of Scripture is really talking about a different time and culture. And the best commentators have recognized that would do such a disservice to the clear message here. It's an essential point. It's not a cultural point. There are some cultural points you might make, but not this one. Stott, who I referred to before, said on this passage, the husband's headship is not a cultural application of a principle. It is the foundation principle itself. It's not chauvinism, but creationism. The new creation in Christ frees us from the distortion of relations between the sexes caused by the fall. But it establishes the original intention of the creation. It was to this beginning that Jesus himself went back. He confirmed the teaching of Genesis 1 and 2. So must we. When Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees about marriage, they were trying to trip him up, he took them back to Genesis 1 and 2. It's not a culturally derived thing. This is something that God has baked into creation. This order, this relationship. And Stott also said wonderfully, Whenever the husband's headship mirrors the headship of Christ, then the wife's submission to the protection and provision of his love, far from detracting from her womanhood, will positively enrich it. The role of the husband as head is is the subject of the rest of the passage, which we'll get to next week. But for now, we can recognize God's designation of the husband in his leadership role. Finally, let's ask the question of verse 24. 
what does submit in everything mean? What is meant by this? Every micro decision made, is that what it's talking about? Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This doesn't mean every little micro decision or movement. It just means that the whole of our life together as one flesh is to be seen as a whole. And so there's not compartments that we have from each other, and it goes both ways. We don't have secret compartments of our life when, when we're, we're one flesh. This is, what I, this is my part of my life that's just mine, and my wife doesn't know anything about that, or vice versa. Uh, it, one flesh means every area of life is shared together. And so every area of life does fall under a direction that God's giving us to go, a mission we have in Christ— namely, but then even particulars to your family and how that's lived out. And that's where the leader of the home should be careful to see the family moving in that direction. In everything means in every aspect of life, as you move forward towards Christ's likeness, that's the, the way we're moving together as one flesh. There's a difference, by the way, in how people sometimes describe a traditional marriage and a biblical marriage. And I want to make sure I say this as a bit of an excursus. Because I sometimes think when we talk about the biblical model for marriage, immediately people think of like leave it to beaver or some kind of original model for traditional marriage, even in America. And that's not the same as biblical marriage. James Boyce does well to point out in his commentary, there is a difference between a traditional marriage and a biblical marriage. In a traditional marriage, a certain type of division exists. Women are often responsible for cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, etc., while men are working and earning an income. That's more of a traditional model you might see. But he notes that the Bible is no law book that exacts the exact division of labor. There is freedom in Christ, freedom to work out the best way to live out the biblical guidelines. As long as Christ-like headship and loving submission are practiced, it would be okay for the wife to make more money than the husband. Further, the husband might be a better cook. A biblical marriage does not always mean a traditional marriage. The couple should simply yield to the pattern of the husband serving as the head and the wife as the helper, submitting to the loving leadership of the husband. And the two should strive together prayerfully to apply this pattern faithfully in their own situation, and there's a thousand different situations. Our concern is to follow what the scripture teaches, not what tradition promotes or what the practice of the culture is. It says in our passage, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. This is going to lead us into the body of this passage. And the church is Jesus' body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The reason we are so ready to submit to Christ, brothers and sisters, is because he's died for us. He's paid for our sins. He's proven himself to us. He loves us. He is, we know he loves us because of what he's done. It should be the same thing as wives consider submitting to their husbands. My husband loves me. He lay his life down for me. I'm more important than he is to himself. You see how this works when it works. I know that it doesn't so often. Sin is real and it's harsh in our lives. You may have experienced it in your own marriage or you may have experienced it in your own home. I'm not saying any of this to pour on. But we can together seek God's grace and his spirit's filling, as it mentions in the verses before. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that where we are, wherever we are, we might see our relationships more reflect what your will is. And as that happens, we'll see that joy that comes from it, not just as 
families, but as a church. And ultimately, hopefully, if God would will, it would impact the world around us that so desperately needs direction in this area that only God can give. Sinclair Ferguson makes a statement that's perfect to close with. Paul's point here is that in expressing the mystery of Christ, wives and husbands give expression to different dimensions of the relationship between the Lord and his people. In the case of the husband, as we shall see, his calling is to love, care for, and protect his wife as Christ does the church. But the wife's role in this domestic cameo of grace is to illustrate how the believer responds to Christ's love with deep and joyful submission. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, help us to listen to your word rather than the voice of this world. As we study these important verses in Ephesians, please soften our hearts to receive its teaching. I pray for the marriages and the families of our church. We recognize and confess struggle in this area. All of us know it in our own personal lives or by extension, uh, our parents. We, we all are touch every day with dysfunction and difficulty here. Lord, fill us with your spirit as husbands and wives who are striving to honor you by living out your glorious design. And we pray this not just for our comfort or our personal satisfaction, but so that we might manifest Christ in the church, so that people would look and see and come to know the gospel, to know Christ for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's together turn and respond by singing the hymn that's printed in your bulletin, Teach me, O Lord, your way of truth. Let's stand and sing verse 1 and verse 2.